Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Self Love Club, a place where boss babes share their stories to empower women. Welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. I'm Val Crawford, and you can find out more about why I've launched this club at valcrawford.com. I'd love for you to join it, and trust me, it's not like a cult or pyramid scheme. It's literally just a club where you can come hang out. It's going to be a fun time. Join me for a podcast series where we'll hear the stories of girl boss women who are doing super cool things with their lives. We'll find out how they've done what they have, their self-love and self-care practices, and they'll share their tips to empower you to live your best life. Dr. Libby is an internationally acclaimed nutritional biochemist, speaker, and author of an impressive 11 books. Armed with a huge amount of knowledge, scientific research, and a true desire to help others, Dr. Libby empowers and inspires people to take charge of their health and happiness. She truly is an angel and an absolute queen. We are super lucky to have Dr. Libby share her story and knowledge on the Self Love Club podcast. Dr. Libby, welcome to the Self Love Club. Thank you so much for being a part of it. You're like one of my dream people to have on it. So I'm really pumped that you're, you're here. Thank so you. You're so gorgeous, Bill. Thank Aww. you. It's a joy to be here with you. Thank you. Now you have had, like you were having an amazing career. You're really helping a lot of women and men around the world. How have you done what you've done? Like, take us back to the start. How did you get into what you're doing now? <laughs> I didn't plan it, Belle. <laughs> um, I grew up in Tamworth in country New South Wales in Australia, and I grew up very simply. We had chickens in the backyard, and we grew a lot of our own veggies. And my dad taught me about the importance of the soil. And uh, he, we lived in town, but he was a real farmer in his heart, so he used to grow. Uh, he used to plant wheat uh, each year so he could see what the wheat crops were going to look like that were way further west than where we lived. So he taught me about the importance of soil and my mother taught me about the importance of nutrition, just not by sitting me down and lecturing me, just mm. because of how she lived. So we had an orange tree and she'd encourage me to eat oranges because they were. she said, oh, they're full of vitamin C and that's really good for your immune system and that helps you to not get a cold. So I had those little lessons just through how we lived very early on in my life. And when I was four, mum gave me a diary and uh, when I was, f and she encouraged me to write in it every single day, just to write something down. And back then when we had the chickens, it was my job to collect the eggs. So the only thing I had to report when I was four was how many <laughs> eggs I'd collected. But that was a great gift to me because she got me in the habit of writing every day. So I worked a lot of stuff out inside myself, particularly as a teenager, by writing in a journal. So it's a practice that I've continued. I don't do it every day these days, but I, I still do do it a lot. And it's, yeah, it's how I've worked a lot of things out ab about myself and I'm a keen observer of human behaviour and, yeah, just make notes about what I see and, and try to decipher the ultimate question for me is why do people do what they do even though they have the knowledge that they have. So I've always yeah, reflected on that. So that sort of got me started at, and in, in a writing capacity and all I knew as a child, you know, I didn't ever have dreams of having a particular career. I just knew one day I'd write a book uh, but I didn't know what it would be about. And when I first went to uni, I actually did journalism uh, because I thought I wanted to write, but I realised pretty quickly I only wanted to write about nutrition and human behaviour. So then I did psychology uh, and then did nutrition. So uh, once I started nutrition, I knew I'd found my jam. And 
So I did nutrition and dietetics uh, at uni for four years and then ended up doing a PhD in biochemistry. Not so much because I was sciencey. In fact, I found it quite difficult, to be honest, but I was very passionate about l- truly learning how the body worked. And uh, I had some wonderful professors who were very independent thinkers and they taught me how to really be a detective, I suppose, when it came to human health. Uh, and that was they, they gave me a great gift and, and taught me really how to think analytically. And uh, so from there, I then uh, I started my own cafe um, so a long time cool. ago now. Yeah, but I thought it was just going to be about, you know, drinking coffee with my friends, to be honest. <laughs> and it was insanely hard work because I did all the cooking for it as well as working in it. And I'd set up my own practice. Uh, back then I was work- I'd, I was back then I was working as a dietitian. Uh, this was in Australia. And uh, so I was seeing patients. I was finishing my PhD and running my cafe. Uh, so there was a lot happening then. And then uh, I finished my PhD and uh, sold the cafe and got a job uh, as a program manager and nutrition person in a health retreat. And that's where I got to see the big impact of stress because up until then it had been, my education was very calorie focused. So if you, um, you know, help people to eat a bit less and move a bit more, then we were taught that their body shape and size would fall into place. And I was starting to observe that that wasn't the case. Mm. And uh, it was that experience very early on in the health retreat that led me to go back to my geeky biochemistry textbooks with the question in my mind, what leads the human body to get the message that it needs to burn fat? And what leads the human body to get the message that it needs to store fat? And I put those answers into my first book, Accidentally Overweight. So it was, again, through observation of people and and really watching people really struggle to make dietary and lifestyle changes, even though they knew it was the right thing for them. They could, they, a lot of people could never do it. They couldn't stick to it. And it was that also that then led me to, I guess, explore. There's three pillars to my work, the biochemical, the nutritional, and the emotional. And it's in the emotional pillar, it's where I get people to try to answer the question, why do you do what you do, even though you know what you know? Mm. And because uh, once you find those beliefs, it makes, it helps people uh, almost be, it can be effortless then uh, to look after ourselves. So I then went into health retreats and um, really loved that work. Uh, and then moved to New Zealand in 2007 and uh, started to see patients over here and started to do, I started off just doing free seminars for people, teaching them about how their body worked. And yeah, I've written 12 books now and uh, I'm insanely grateful for people's interest in wanting to take better care of themselves. Wow. I mean, 12 books, even just writing one to me, I'm like, that sounds <laughs> like that's, I mean, a lot of people want to write a book or like, be like, that's a like life goal, you know, how, like, how have you managed to do that? Like, from the start, so from when you wrote your first book, how has it grown since then? What I mean, obviously, you've just worked really hard and it's what you're passionate about, but how have you done it? Uh, I, well, I, I write from my heart. I, I'm pretty clear before I sit down to write a book, I, I know what I want to say. I know the essence of the message that I want to bring to life. And it's usually because I've had a string of people either talk, tell me face-to-face or write me an email saying, there's, I've got a massive problem in this area or I really need to learn about this. So it comes from the feedback that people give me when I when I travel or they write to me. They, that's usually how I get the themes for the books. And I really enjoy the process. I turn my phone off. <laughs> I usually get, yeah, go, go pretty solitary, <laughs> yeah. which I enjoy, uh, so to, to get them written. So, uh, and, yeah, there's, I feel really privileged to have had the education that I have. I kind of don't quite know how that happened, to be honest. And uh, so I've... I've worked this stuff out and it would be a waste if I didn't pass it on. That's how I see it. So mm. I'd, it's it, there are occasionally days where it feels like work, but mostly it doesn't feel like work. I'm 
just I feel really lucky that I'm just doing the thing that I'm supposed to do in the world. So, yeah, I didn't plan it. It's just unfolded and it's just grown and grown as as people have become more interested in looking after themselves. Yeah, well done. Incredible like incredible stuff. And you know, you have you have really changed a lot of people's lives. I think the thing as well is that, you know, we were there was often these like weird thoughts about food and, you know, we a lot of us grew up thinking, oh, you know, fat-free this, da-da-da-da. And you were covering sort of an area that we hadn't really been taught about before. And I think that's what like stuck with a lot of people. We're like, oh, like it was just about eating well. Like it was just eating good, nourishing food, nourishing your body, not punishing your body, mm. um, which I think a lot of us – not meaning to be brought up that way, but mm. a lot of us have, and it's like find food confusing and like just didn't really have the knowledge. You know, mm. our parents mm. didn't really have that knowledge either. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And it doesn't need to be confusing. You've nailed it in what you just said. It's we need to eat nutrients, that nutrient dense food. And that's why I just try and phrase it as, as simply as I can that. Yeah, there's no such thing as junk food. There's just junk and there's food and we mostly need to eat food mm. to, to get the nourishment that we need. And sure, people can get really caught up worrying about their macronutrient breakdown between their carbohydrates and their proteins and their fats. But when you eat whole real food, your body guides you with that. So there mm. are days where, you know, you might have half an avocado for breakfast and you're really satisfied. Then there are other days where only a whole avocado will do. And then there's other days you look at an avocado and think, oh, yuck, I don't want that today. That's your body guiding your decisions. And when you get processed food out of your life, your body guides it, not your taste buds, your body literally guides what's going to be great for you to eat. So you, you a lot of stress dissipates because you start to trust your body again. And that's a huge thing that saddens me is particularly for women that, They've lost trust in themselves and their own choices and their own instincts. And I like to say that we all have a voice inside of us that has our back. There's a voice inside us that knows when it's time to go to bed. It knows what we need to eat for afternoon tea. It's, but we often don't listen to it. We second guess ourselves and think that something or someone external to us has all the answers. And I'm trying to get people back trusting themselves and trying to bring a real common sense conversation, if you like, to, to food. So, yeah. Tell us about your latest book and your latest tour. So the latest book is called The Beauty Guide and it's not a fluffy beauty book, although it does go into all the nutrients and things we need for lovely hair, skin and nails, of course, but there's a much deeper conversation in there about how we actually develop our self-worth and our self-esteem, the way that we perceive ourselves because the beliefs we have about ourselves that are often created when we're really young, they determine the the choices we make and the behaviours that we display uh, as adults. So the book helps people to identify some of the beliefs they have about themselves, for example, who do they think they have to be to be loved or to fit in or to be liked, that type of thing. The book also looks at this culture of comparison that we're living amongst uh, at the moment and and ways to really, I guess, strengthen our own self-worth so that we're a lot less vulnerable to the passing judge, judgmental comments of others. So that's the book in a nutshell. It's It goes into a lot of hormonal information as well because so many women these days of all ages uh, suffer terribly with sex hormone imbalances, so really heavy, clotty, painful periods, mood swings that can go anywhere from immense irritability to intense sadness, you know, sometimes in the same hour. So it talks a lot about those those practical women's health things as well. So that's the book. And then the tour is called The Hormone Factor, which is a big in-depth look at how the body makes over 50 different hormones, what leads to that and, and ways to balance that, those hormones out. Oh, so good. I mean, so relevant to us all at the moment. A lot of people, you know, we're with social media as well, we're comparing ourselves to a lot of people, you know, we're really busy all the time. We're stressed out. And yeah, like I, I know so many women, including myself, will all, you know, experience little 
um, you know, like hormone problems or, you know, lots going on and it's like you're always looking for a fix and people are like, oh, if I take this supplement, I'll, it'll be all good or whatever. But it's just getting down to those, like the important stuff, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. I mean, internally, we need to be looking at stress hormone production. We need to make sure our liver is working effectively. So there's lots of stuff health-wise internally that we can do. But of course, our beliefs and perceptions also play a massive role, even in whether we're stressed or not. So so some people will have a belief that there aren't enough hours in the day and they live their life really intensely. And then the person, their colleague at the desk beside them might have a belief that well, all the important things always get done. So they stress a lot less, even though they probably have the same amount of work on their plate. So beliefs really have an impact on our experience of things. I definitely noticed that as well. Like a lot of people will be like, oh, I'm just so busy. Like we're all busy, but it's not good to live in that stressy zone all the time, which sometimes you find yourself in, but people are just like, it's like they're competing to be busy. And it's like, it's not like a competition. We're just, yeah. No, it's not at all. And we're really busy with what we say yes to. So when we feel overwhelmed, sometimes I think it's really good to step back and think, well, I, I chose this. I somehow said yes to maybe not all of it, but we've said yes to a lot of the stuff that makes us busy. So sometimes a great thing to reduce stress is learning how to say no because mm. we can when we when we want to say no but we don't we're usually just worried about what someone's going to think of us that you know if someone comes to us and says can you please help uh, with this and you're thinking oh my goodness I don't have any space but yeah okay I'll help and then you think why on earth did I agree to that really what we're worried about is that they're going to think we're an awful person that we're not kind or thoughtful or selfless and yet if someone if you put the shoe on the other foot and someone came to you and said uh, and you said to someone, can you help me? And they said, oh, look, I'd love to, but I'm swamped right now. You're not going to think they're an awful mm. person. You're just going to say, well, I hope you get through this, you know, this busy time or, you know, you offer support rather than pass judgment on them. So I think that's part of it. But when when you look at stress, uh, and I think it's it's going to become more and more important for us to break down what it really is instead of just living in this constant, with this mantra almost in our heads, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so stressed. I think we need to begin to really break it down and look at what it is because um, I think it's, and I'm not talking about trauma right now, it's important people know that it's, uh, I'm talking about everyday stresses, you know, like to-do lists, uh, email inboxes that are overflowing, <laughs> running late, you know, having back-to-back -back meetings, that type of thing. So, if you, I think those types of stresses, when we say we're stressed about that, it's almost like the achiever's word for fear. It just would be really weird, I think, if we walked around going, oh, I'm totally scared of my emails, although I personally am totally terrified of my emails. <laughs> They're very ugly right now. Um, but it's an achiever's word for fear. And why I say that is if you pick on, say, running late, let's say you're, you're in traffic, you're running late for a work meeting, you get really worked up on the inside – if you pause in that moment and think, okay, if this is actually showing me something that I'm frightened of, I wonder what that might be. Because when you, it's not the running late itself that is stressing you out. It's you pull the curtain back on it and what you'll see is what stresses most people out is what other people think of them. Mm. So if you can identify that in the moment, it's going to foster a far different conversation than if you burst into that meeting with intensity and really stressed. You're going to show up and say, I got myself so worked up in the car because I was running late and I'm so sorry that I'm late. It's not because I don't respect you or appreciate my job or our friendship or whatever it is. And so you, you speak from this real place of caring, which is why you're stressed. You stress because you care because we've got beautiful hearts. If you didn't care, you wouldn't stress. Mm. So it fosters a, a much different style of conversation when you can recognise that it's coming from really from a beautiful place. But beyond that, I think we've got to look at um, why there is so much of it because when I was growing up, I probably cared about what five or maybe ten people thought of me, my parents, my best friend, my favourite school teacher, 
my tennis coach, a boy probably, <laughs> you know, but it's a handful of people. Whereas now people care about what thousands and thousands of people think of them and most of them are strangers. So we are human. We're always going to care about what people think of us. But another way to stress less is to make that circle a lot smaller because, you know, you're always going to care what people think of you. But if you care, if you make it about the people who truly deserve to be in your heart, you're going to stress a lot less. Mm, I think that's, um, yeah, really, really wise words because I think a lot of the time, you know, we're we're not very careful with that energy and it's like you've got to be really careful in like who you're giving it to, who you're allowing in and what's important. Um, totally agree with that. I remember you talking one time, and this is kind of, it was about food and things, but I think it relates to this as well. In one of your seminars, you were talking about how, you know, our bodies, they're the same as they were back cavemen's days and that, you know, we're putting a lot more stress on them. We're putting food in our bodies that they're not designed to have. And I think the same with the stress that we're putting on ourselves. It's the same thing, right? It is. And it's coming through in this latest seminar that I'm doing. So if you can imagine, science currently suggests that humans have been on the planet for about somewhere between 150,000 and 200,000 years, although I think in the not too distant future that'll get blown out of the water and we'll know we've been here for a lot longer. (laughs) But um, let's just stick with 150,000 years for now. If you can picture in your mind a 30 centimetre school ruler and let that represent 150,000 years, one millimetre on that school ruler represents 500 years. So if you then think about the last 30 years and the rate of change that the world has undergone, you wouldn't even be able to see 30 years on that school ruler as a, as a huge, as compared to the huge amount of time that we've been here and yet so much has changed. So let's think about it. It wasn't that long ago that when you left the house, no one could get hold of you. <laughs> I'd actually like to bring that back. Oh, same. Um, <laughs> I actually miss that. Even though like you think back and you're like, I, can't de- I couldn't deal with that. I'm like, no, actually, I definitely could. Yeah. It'd be quite nice. It would because you noticed, you know, when you went from A to B, you noticed nature or you were just with your thoughts and you'd think lovely things or you'd think about things that were bothering you or whatever it was, but you had, there was spaciousness in, mm. in your day, whereas now when you travel from A to B, usually on your phone checking things or, or you're certainly contactable. Uh, social media is only just over 10 years old. So, you know, obviously there's going to be a whole generation of people now coming through who've never lived without that. That has pros and cons. Um, the food supply has changed dramatically for me, there's no such thing as junk food. There's just junk and there's food. And as humans, we're supposed to eat food. And that's what we have evolved eating. And the junk is very new to us. So that's that's a huge amount of stuff that's changed. And then I think as well that if you think about time in this way and how long we've actually been on the planet, it wasn't very long ago in human history where women were given the opportunity to do what were traditionally their father's jobs, but a lot of us have maintained what were traditionally our mother's responsibilities. Mm. So what's unfolded for a lot of women is a frantic double shift of work day and night with very little, if any, rest. Now, of course, we're completely capable of that from an intelligence perspective, but what I want people to deeply appreciate is that we've never, ever, ever asked our bodies to live like this before. And for, for a lot of women especially, their bodies rebel with a lot of hormonal imbalances, with problems with their sex hormones, with that constant relentless output of stress hormones, and that is all brand new to us. Every generation has had stress, of course, but in this generation, it, you, you often wake up in the morning and you make adrenaline, and people want to block their ears right now because you're not going to like what I say. We make adrenaline when we consume caffeine and also because of our perception of pressure and urgency. So for a lot of people, their whole morning is set up with caffeine and feeling like they're you know, not going to get through all their tasks in a day. So we make adrenaline nearly always the whole time our eyes are open, whereas in the past we would make adrenaline in a big surge when our life was literally in danger 
And then the minute the threat was gone, the adrenaline would subside. So a very big shift in our chemistry has happened with that constant relentless output of stress hormones. Yeah, and I'm sure, I mean, you have a lot of advice in all your books and all the, you know, the seminars you've done, but... Like, we live in this world. We don't really have much choice about it. We have to live in it. Obviously, we can, like, choose different things and we can, you know, like, put boundaries around things. But what are some of your tips of how we can live in this world without constantly stressing ourselves out and making ourselves sick? So the first thing is to, I think, is to identify what is truly at the heart of the stress. So uh, is it you're worried about what a particular person thinks about you or a group of people, do you need to have a different type of conversation with them to establish a different style of relationship with them? So I think that's incredibly important. Uh, I also think that when you look at how you breathe, when we breathe in a short, sharp, shallow way in the upper part of our chest, that's adrenaline driving that. When we breathe diaphragmatically, so a yoga type of breath, so you inhale and your belly pushes forward, you exhale and your belly shrinks back towards your spine, that lowers stress hormones faster than anything because you communicate to your body that you're safe. You'd never be able to breathe like that if you weren't safe. Uh, So that's another little simple thing we can do. But I also think I, I was reminded very powerfully of how most stress, not all stress, but a lot of stress is a perception. When I spoke for the Hereditary Breast and Ovarian Cancer Society at at one of their conferences. So that room was filled with women who had either been told that they had the gene for breast and or ovarian cancer, or they had one of those cancers, or they were now cancer free. And uh, after I speak, I'll often answer people's questions, but I sometimes have questions of my own. And if you can imagine that for a lot of the women in this room, some of them shared with me that they were facing an unknown prognosis. A number of them shared with me that they had a poor prognosis. Others uh, were suffering so much with their treatments that they'd had to stop work. Uh, so there were financial challenges. Some For some of them, they'd had relationships breakdown, challenges with teenagers, and on and on the list of really big stuff went that they were facing all at once. So some of life's biggest, toughest things, including a question mark over their own mortality. And that day I asked each of these women individually if they felt like they were living in a world full of stress and pressure and urgency, and every single one of them said no. And when I asked how on earth that was possible, the essence of what they communicated back to me was that they just felt so privileged to still be alive. Oh, that's so, so nice. Yeah, and it, it, but we don't – it is, it's beautiful. And But there's such a lesson in that because we don't want it to be the diagnosis of something – or a major deterioration in our health that wakes us up to how magnificent all of this is Mm. right now. And I think a really wonderful exercise to do, and I talk about this in my new book, The Beauty Guide, a wonderful exercise to do is to actually identify your own values. Because when we live according to our own values, you usually thrive. And sometimes that is a really busy life. But it's when we try and live inside someone else's value set that usually our health starts to fall apart, whether we're busy or not even that busy. So it's incredibly important. So much of our stress comes from trying to keep other people happy and that's not really living true to our own values. Mm. So it's a lot of inner work, I think, that's needed uh, to, to really start to decrease our stress hormone production. Have you got some, you know, really good little self-care tips for us, whether it be with our food or like how we're living our lives on a daily basis, things that we can do? to make ourselves less stressed and look after ourselves better. Mm, yeah, most definitely. I like I, I like people to think about the question, what did you when you were 2 years old, what did you have to do to be loved? And the answer is nothing because when you're 2, you're just loved, you don't have to do anything, you just have to exist. And 
by the time we're seven, every single human has, whether they grew up with chaos or calm in their household, every single human has developed a belief that they're not good enough in some way. They're not good enough. They're not tall enough. They're not skinny enough. They're not pretty enough. They're not smart enough, not loud enough, not quiet enough, just not enough, not okay the way that we are. And we then go looking for evidence of those beliefs. And in, in every interaction we have, we don't consciously do it. We don't walk around going, how can I prove to myself that I'm totally not enough? <laughs> it's just that you get off the phone from someone and if it was not a – the conversation didn't go the way you thought it was going to go, you come out of it going, oh, I'm – they're arrogant or I'm not good enough to fit in with them or I'm not as intelligent as them or you judge yourself when something doesn't go so well. Whereas when you don't have that belief, you wouldn't – past that judgment after you got off that phone call. So you don't even realise that you're doing it. You just think it's the truth. So a really beautiful thing to start to do is to explore where those beliefs have come from and to understand that they that you absorb them. You didn't sit there when you were six going, I'm going to pick this belief because it'll be totally dysfunctional by the time I'm 35. <laughs> you absorb them from the looks on people's faces. So it's one of the most magnificent things is to return to that state of uh, knowing in deep in your heart that you're worthy of love your own love is what I'm talking about. Because when you believe in your heart that you're worthy of love, it changes everything. It changes your food choices. It changes whether you get off the couch and go for a walk or not, rather than that be some arduous thing that you've got to contemplate, will I or won't I? It's Mm. just you want to move your body because you love your body and you want to take care of it. Uh, when you when you know that you're worthy of, of love uh, as well, I think it changes the jobs we would apply for, friends that we make, our self-talk and the way that we speak to everyone we love in the world. So although my work started out being very nutritionally focused and I am all for that, I'm all for people eating plenty of whole real foods, particularly plenty of plants uh, and plenty of vegetables. I'm obsessed with getting people to, to <laughs> do that. Uh, I do think that ultimately what juices me particularly these days is helping the lights go back on in people's eyes when they get back in touch with just how extraordinary they are. Because if we knew who we really are, we would be in awe of ourselves. It's just most people live every day completely out of touch with that. So, and like I said, the, you know, I I was brought home to me very powerfully when I spoke uh, at that conference for those women who had had big health challenges or were in the midst of a big health challenge. We don't want it to be some crisis that wakes us up to just how special all of this is and what a gift life is. So, that that's the ultimate message is behind my work is is the name of your podcast is is about self love so yeah it's it's it is the ultimate it's um and and helping people to to return to that state and to that truth i think is game changing for us right now but also in how we then raise the next generation because they're going to face challenges that are unknown to us and the culture of comparison is potentially only going to get tougher and tougher so we need to, I think, really be conscious of strengthening our own self-worth but strengthening the self-worth of the next generation because they have to be robust enough to withstand the passing judgments of others. You don't want them to be so vulnerable to that that you know a comment from a stranger on the other side of the world can put them into a really dangerous or, or uncomfortable or frightening place. We've got to strengthen our, bo- our young boys and girls to, to understand that that's a reflection of the person commenting, not themselves. So... Yeah, it's a big it's a big conversation and but it's something that I'm very very passionate about and mm. it's taken my work I guess a bit beyond nutrition but nutrition's the foundation of it all. <laughs> no, it's good for you to have like yeah different areas and 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 totally like self-love is really important for for a lot of us and myself as well. Like, I'm really passionate about it because you know people are just so unkind to themselves. My like I mean I've definitely have been in the past as well. Um and you know like you're right once you start actually loving yourself, everything around you changes, the way people are treating you, you know, like 
like you say, the way you eat. Um, and you would have seen with a lot of women and men that you've been able to help. You know, like a lot of us have had battles in the past with not thinking we're good enough and like then we then punish ourselves with food. You know, I had an eating disorder growing up and it was like, I'm mean, real personal to tell you, but like you, you were really able to, you were the first one that really taught me how to actually look after my body and nourish myself. I'd always thought of food as this like, I punish myself with food because I'm not good enough. Oh no, I didn't mean to upset you. But no, like, it's beautiful. But like, no, honestly, going to your seminars, I've never told you this and I've never really told anyone this, but I just, you taught me how to look after myself. And I was like, cool, like I can, I can nourish my body with what I, I never have to worry about. Like, I'm not going to put on weight by eating food. And that was part of that healing, you know, like, yeah. And some of those tips I've like, I still have my smoothie with my Brazil nuts in every morning. Like those little things, like, thank you. Cause that's changed my life. It's changed thousands of people's lives. So thank you so much. Oh, you've really touched my heart. <laughs> um, but you did it. You know, I can stand and speak to a room full of people and not everybody acts on what they learn. They don't have to or they're not mm. meant to, but we, you, you need to see that you did that. So yeah, something- to- no, totally. Mm. Yeah, th- But thank you for like, you know, like teaching people about food because we're not, I don't know, maybe ever, maybe some people are, but some people aren't taught about food properly and no. it's it's ridiculous because it's food. Like we should know these things. Like I guess a lot of the things our grandparents and before that, a lot of them ate whole foods, you know, exactly. and like, why didn't we learn this stuff, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, no. You're a beautiful soul. Oh, We're no, having tears I, right now. Oh, no. <laughs> beautiful. I was like, do I tell her that? Do I not? Do I not? But no, like, thank you because those things you've taught us, you know, eating nourishing food, really caring for your body, it's, it's like, it probably seems simple, but it's like, it's, we have to reteach ourselves all this stuff. Mm. Yeah. And it's not selfish and it's not a luxury because when we do, step up and take lovely care of ourselves, it doesn't just impact us. It impacts every single human we come into Mm. contact with. Because when we like ourselves, even just that little bit more, uh, when we're more content with ourselves or proud of our choices, it shows up in how we converse with everybody and our energy. So, yeah, Yeah. it has a beautiful ripple effect. Totally. Mm. Now, um, what are some of your, like, with food and stuff, just a couple of, like, quick ones off the top of your head, some things that we can be doing each day, obviously more plant-based, but what are some things people can really do in their day to nourish their bodies and look after themselves better? Yeah, so without doubt, look at where you can get more veggies in. Don't just let it be a token lettuce leaf on a sandwich for lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Try and be focused on making sure that you've got soups or stews or casseroles, that type of stuff. Uh, Particularly, you know, you might spend half an hour or an hour on a Sunday preparing a couple of things for the week, some slow-cooked meals that you can pop into the fridge or the freezer so that they've got tons of vegetables in them. If sweet food is your challenge, then again, half an hour on a Sunday might be the best thing you do for yourself for that week. You make up some little bliss balls. Uh, that you pop into the freezer or the fridge so that you've got sweet food that's actually nourishing uh, if you know that that's something that you struggle with in the middle of the afternoon, for example. So get to know where your challenges are with food and then think practically through how you could overcome that. And it does. this is not about perfection. Perfection is a mask that fear wears. It's not about doing all these things perfectly all the time because it's what you consistently do that gives you your level of health. So it's not it's not about perfection. So you want to just to you want to be able to consistently make nourishing food choices. So it doesn't have to be every single day that you eat the homemade food or the the homemade bliss balls. But if you let's say right now five out of seven nights a week you buy your dinner, if you could uh, cook your own food 
for four nights a week even, that would t- turn aspects of your health around by getting those plants in. So try and identify where your challenges are and then think logically through, okay, how can I now, how can I make a different choice there? If Or, you know, if you're used to having um, something highly processed or deep fried as a snack, think, well, maybe I could swap to hummus for a um, couple of days a week. Just, yeah, so try and think logically through where you could do some swaps. I think that's important uh, from a food perspective. Uh, so smoothies can also be a great way uh, to get a lot of nut- nutrients in. The good thing about smoothies is that you can pack a lot of vegetables into them. Uh, the thing is we shouldn't live on them though for breakfast, lunch and dinner, you know, once a day, no sweat or a couple of times a week, no sweat. But when you drink liquid, you don't stimulate, stimulate stomach acid production. So totally fine to include them, but you don't want to, I've met people who they hear the message smoothies are full of nourishment. So they'll have them for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Mm. (laughs) It's always people that take things to the extreme (laughs) anyway, but they can be a great way to, uh, to bring more nutrients in. Uh, nuts are very nutrient dense and some of the nuts that we have are like Brazil nuts, as you mentioned, Belle, are one of the only food sources we now have of selenium, which is a really important antioxidant. It's very important for our immune system, uh, for sex hormone production, for sperm function in men. Selenium is so critical to so many aspects of our health and kiwis tend to be pretty low in it. So Brazil nuts are a fantastic inclusion. Walnuts are very rich in omega-3 fats, anti-inflammatory fats, uh, which are fats that are really good for our brain. Uh, and yeah, and fantastic for inflammation. So a little mixture of seeds and nuts can be another fantastic snack there in the middle of the afternoon that are uh, that's full of goodness. And I think too, it's really do what you can to try to get to know where your food comes from. So if uh, if you eat meat. Uh, it's awesome if you can get to know a local butcher and have a conversation with the butcher about where the animals come from, how they're raised, if he knows the farmer, because I feel that the more we can develop sort of community connections through food, it becomes more meaningful to us. We can feel more grateful about where it's come from. We can, we, we need to almost, uh, for me, I think it's crazy that we know the name of our doctors and our dentists and we don't know the names of our farmers because if farmers stop caring, our health, our health as humans is going to fall apart because mm. if they don't, put the nourishment back into the soil, then there's no other way for us to get nutrients going in. So, uh, that, you know, shopping at farmers markets, shaking their hands and getting, to, you know, asking them their name and thanking them for what they do and getting to know your local butcher. I think that's another really important step we can take as far as uh, being more connected to our food. I want to live back in that world again. Yeah. <laughs> we need to almost, we need to create that if we can. Can we, can we just go live in that world again? Yeah. Yeah. It's too busy now. Yeah. <laughs> what are some of your, uh, obviously a lot of these things you probably do for yourself, but some of your self-care practices that you do for yourself, self-love and self-care, what do you do for you? I'm a big nature girl, so uh, that not a day goes by where I'm not caught staring at the sky or... Uh, yeah, just thinking, watching yesterday, even just watching clouds change. So that's that. That's just all comes naturally to me. I don't schedule that. That just happens. It's just part of my nature is to notice nature. And I think it's uh, when I first moved to New Zealand back in 2007, I think I commented pretty much every day about how <laughs> green it was growing up in Australia where the back and the front yard was dirt a lot of the time. It's just mind boggling. And yet I think when you grow up with it being so green, it's really easy to not see it anymore. And uh, even friends, when they come to New Zealand from Australia, will say to me, it's like someone has done a painting and just <sighs> dropped it into the background. It's it's so perfect. So I think we're very fortunate to, uh, to, to have such extraordinary scenery and we need to, yeah, reconnect to, to that. So that's a big thing for me is uh, spending time in nature, 
uh, every day or, or at least noticing nature if I can't get out amongst it. I love walking uh, out amongst it and, and through the bush. Uh, so that's a big thing. I spend time by myself. So every morning uh, there's I do something that I love so I don't plan it uh, and it might be a hot drink in my hands while I watch the sunrise uh, it might be going to Pilates. It might be going for a walk. It could be meditation. So there's, there's. I, I don't set it. I used to be quite rigid, like I had to do this and then mm. this and then this. I don't do any of that now. I do whatever my soul feels like. But it's something. It's something that nourishes my soul. And these days, in all honesty, it's mostly outside. Yeah, looking at nature and yeah. and um and just observing that for a while. So they're big things to me. Writing in my journal, uh, particularly if there's something I'm trying to work out inside myself, I find that incredibly nourishing and nurturing for myself. Uh, yeah. And they're, they're, they're big main things. Yeah. I love watching birds, chickens, um, chicken lady, crazy chicken lady. So <laughs> comes from having to, you know, <laughs> feed them the and collect the eggs yeah. growing up. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. I, I love that. Um, nature's so beautiful. And I think if we just notice it a bit more, it can make you feel really good, you know, just notice the sky, all the beautiful birds and trees around us. Mm. And you live in beautiful Burley most of the time. So, oh, I love it over there. So nice. It's very special. Yeah. And you have like, uh, I was there over summer. You guys have like wildlife in your backyard sometimes, you know, like kookaburras and like little wallabies and lizards. I'm like, wow, it's fascinating. I'd never seen all that before. They're adorable. And there's lots of babies, baby wallabies in pouches at the moment. And they're as cute as buttons. So cute. Yeah. The mummy leans forward to eat the grass and the baby's head's just popping out of the pouch eating the grass. It's priceless. Yeah. Mm. And for, obviously it's a big thing, but like for yourself, has a lot of this been a journey for you of self-love and um, or like has there been a journey for you with self-love and love for yourself? Uh, I def- when work got very, very busy when it first went crazy initially and my when I was still seeing patients and my waiting list blew out to be over six months long, there was a part of my nature that I really needed to look at, which was this, I had a belief that I couldn't let anyone down. Mm. So I'd have people phoning my, my, you know, it was June and I was booked out till Christmas and people would phone with these with something awful happening with their health and I knew that we needed to change X, Y and Z about what they were eating, for example, and I thought I can't wait till January to see this person so I'd squash them in to my to an already full day. So, yeah, I was at work at 7 in the morning, finishing at 8 or 9 at night, not taking lunch breaks, <laughs> all that kind of stuff mm. for, for way too long and, of course, that all catches up with you eventually. And, you know, sure, you could say on the one hand it was coming from a place of caring because I really couldn't bear the thought of these people waiting so long. But on the other hand, it was also, yeah, me, it was this belief that I have that I couldn't let anybody down. So that was around the time I wrote the book Rushing Woman Syndrome because life was overflowing and, uh, but it was all coming from, yeah, that that um, belief. And that was where I really started to, I guess, piece together the link between stress and the mess that could then happen with women's sex hormones, for example, and the consequences of that. Uh, and and but to peel it all back and to see where it was coming from that most women are raised to be good girls we're raised to put the needs of other people ahead of our own and uh, so yeah really exploring that and seeing that we're worthy of love no matter what we do is is a is a really beautiful journey. Oh, mm. thank you so much for all your wise words and for being on the podcast, Libby. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure, Belle. Loved it so much. Thank you for what you do. Thank you so much for listening to the Self Love Club podcast. A special thanks to Nick Baldwin, our audio engineer. You're a superstar and we appreciate you heaps. Please subscribe for more episodes. We have some super empowering girl bosses coming up. 
To find out more about our Boss Babe guests and for the Self Love Club resources and blog posts, check out my website, belcrawford.com, and you can follow me at belcrawford on Instagram and Facebook. Catch you soon, babes. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.